The Beerer Podcast. Research matters. Hello and welcome to The Beerer Podcast. I'm Nick Johnson and today my guest is Natalie Kuchikova. Natalie is Professor of Early Childhood Education and Development at the University of Stavanger, Norway and Professor of Reading and Children's Development at the Open University in the UK. Natalie's work is concerned with social justice in children's literacy and the use of technologies and she's the founder of the International Collective of Children's Digital Books, which connects research and design in children's ebooks and literacy apps, and chair of the Children's Digital Book Award, the first such award judged entirely by teachers. Her research takes place collaboratively across academia, commercial and third sectors, and she's a Jacobs Foundation Research Fellow for 2021 to 2023. In our discussion, we talk about personalization in learning and how technology can be used effectively, discussing some of the constraints and downsides, as well as the opportunities this provides. These are all issues that are addressed in more detail in Natalia's recent book, The Future of the Self, Understanding Personalization in Childhood and Beyond, published by Emerald in February 2021. In the book, Natalia explores the effects of digitally mediated personalization on children's development of self, looking at the profound implications that the personal data economy and network-based technologies might have played in our own understanding of ourselves and each other. And we explore some of these issues in today's conversation. Well, thank you very much for joining the podcast today, Natalia. Can you start off telling us a little bit about your, your personal background, how you sort of came to be interested in this area of research? Sure, and many thanks for having me. So I'm based at the University of Stavanger now in Norway, but I did all my education in the UK. So I did my bachelor at the University of Bath and then a master's and PhD at the Open University. And in fact, I returned to the OU as professor last year. So that was a very nice uh, to go back to my alma mater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there are two main strands to my work. One is reading and the uh, socio-cultural processes around families who engage in uh, shared reading at home, cultural differences and uh, family dynamics around it. And the other strand is new technologies, design of new media, ebooks, uh, apps. So here I'm uh, more interested in the process of how these digital tools are affecting children's development and particularly in relation to personalization, so how they resonate with individual children and how the design is individualized to uh, children at different ages and different stages of development. And, and, and you talk about sort of development of, of technology and one of the pieces of work that you were involved in that I'm interested in exploring a little bit more was this app that you did around our story. Can you explain what that was, where the idea came from and and how that sort of fed into your more recent research? Yeah, well, the app, it sort of started when I was doing my PhD. So I noticed that when it comes to shared reading uh, between parents and children, there is this element in the process where the story becomes more meaningful. There are some moments when the parents and the children start reminiscing or when they make some intertextual references. So when they say, this is like that book you read before. And when they draw on the child's personal experience. So when parents say things like, oh, the literate writing wood has the same color shirt as you have. Uh, so I began thinking whether we could design books that would encourage more of such personal links. 
And when I began the research, this was also part of my master's, these personalized books. I was looking at books that can be designed with a direct reference to the child's life. Uh, so that would contain their name or their favorite place to play or their favorite toy or breakfast food. And at the beginning, these books were made with cardboard and um, in collaboration with parents. But then iPads came along and <laughs> I saw the many multimedia creation possibilities with them. So instead of creating these personalized books on paper, they became uh, personalized books on tablets. Yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> sort of a, a, yeah, ahead of the, the game for the, what we've all been experiencing in the last two years, really, with, with technology. When you were doing that development and, and seeing children's experiences with that, what were some of the lessons you took from that? A couple of lessons. Well, I think what was very nice with the app was that the process of making the stories was so smooth and uh, straightforward and much easier than using the traditional stationery and uh, traditional tools. But what it also allowed us to do was that children could share their stories. So what the app brought to foreground, if you like, and that is across several studies, was to me the importance of the children's agency, so the importance of their own choices in creating stories about them and people and things they like and know. The app allows children to have a choice in terms of format, so they can have their own voiceover and they can print out the story and they can choose in which format they do that. But they can also choose the content of the story, so there are no restrictions in terms of story characters or photos they choose to have in the story. So the key implication, if you like, from that work is that we need to ensure that the design is open-ended so that children's choices can be honored and acted upon. So that, that was a uh, one big lesson. And I suppose the other big lesson is in terms of the pedagogy of reading. So how these stories that are deeply personal uh, in nature how they uh, motivate children to read for pleasure and how they can um, see themselves through others. So the interest to share a story, your story with others, that was a very important lesson to learn from the work. Yeah, and, and presumably that leads into, it's an intrinsic part of this concept of personalization that you, that you mentioned and that you've written about recently. Can you describe what you mean by personalization in an educational sense? Yeah, uh, well, the very simple definition of personalization is that it is the process of making experiences personally meaningful to one individual. Uh, so we are not talking about customization where you tailor content to a group of individuals. Uh, this is really about individualizing the process. And that can happen on a um, verbal level. So when, uh, as I mentioned towards the beginning, when parents address the child by their name uh, while they are reading, for example, or on the design level when you tailor books to individual children. So whether the personalization is human or technology mediated, it can only happen if you have some information about the child if you have some personal data. And as we know, increasingly these data are digital and the personalization process is becoming automated. So that is how I moved from that side of research to more into the area of digital personalization. 
what impact does that have in terms of children's learning? I mean, you talked about the the benefits for, with the app for being able to share it more broadly, but what what are the key differences of personalization in children's learning? Well, uh, you can uh, think about the impact in terms of children's motivation and engagement. So what we have seen is that uh, children are more engaged when they're using personalized resources. And this is kind of similar to adults' reaction when uh, we get personalized shopping experiences and uh, personalized news. They catch our attention. There are also um, important effects and impacts to look at in terms of children's social interactions. So how they consider uh, themselves, how they think about their own identity, independence, And then what uh, many psychologists uh, study at the macro level is in terms of children's talk, children's referencing about themselves versus others. There is some very interesting work about this. Bruce Hood in uh, Bristol, um, Oslem Aydug at the University of California and Ethan Cross in Michigan. Uh, These psychologists talk a lot about self-talk as a regulatory mechanism in young children. And when you have these highly personalized resources, what we have found is that they really encourage this self-referencing. So children's talk focused on themselves rather than others. Mm -hmm. So um, that uh, raises many questions in terms of what is it that we are supporting in uh, terms of widening children's horizons or making sure that they focus on their own achievements and their own interests. And, and I, I mean, I think that links to the point you, you also referred to earlier in terms of the issue of agency, what that means for, I, I suppose, children having that kind of autonomy, particularly with young children. And we're talking about some quite young children here. So what, what are some of the challenges around agency and but also the opportunities? Well, if you think about agency as being important for children to set their own goals and have the determination to strive for those goals and to achieve them, then the process of digital personalization, so when it becomes automated and the child has very little choice about what they get uh, in terms of personalized content, that really threatens their agency. Because you remove the possibility for self-correction, self-calibration, and, and, and really volition. These are important learning processes, as we know from many psychology studies, and they're also important human rights issues. So uh, what I've been uh, looking at with colleagues was the importance of personalization in uh, automated or algorithmic education mm-hmm. and many of the biased recommendations that um, some of these apps send to children. But also in terms of pedagogy, what is happening to teachers and teachers who work with personalized technologies, personalized education. So we have found that the design of many of these technologies does not necessarily expand their expertise, teachers' expertise, but it uh, it tends to deprofessionalize them and replace their uh, pedagogy with um, a lot of uh, um, content that is not necessarily educational. Yeah. So there are some uh, issues here to address, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I guess it's part of the wider conversation around the use of technology as a whole in learning, isn't it? And one of the, the tensions there is how to make sure it's for for the benefits of pedagogy and for, for student learning rather than people trying to make commercial gain out of it. Absolutely. This has been an ongoing issue. I have been looking with colleagues uh, both in Stavanger and in the UK at the quality of um, children's digital books and apps. And unfortunately, for the past 10 years, we have been saying that the quality is low and that we need greater collaboration with designers and uh, publishers to make sure that the digital content we offer children is of higher quality. And uh, I'm afraid there hasn't been much progress. And yet we have seen such a big increase in the use of these technologies. So it's a real issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, and in terms of some of those conversations, what what do you think are some of the ways it can be addressed? I mean, who who needs to do more to, to address it? Well, I have a big sociocultural orientation in my work, so I do believe it's something we all need to work on. And by all, I mean as researchers being better at communicating our findings, ensuring that they are translated uh, not to some popular science articles, but also concrete products for young children, so resources for them. Making sure that publishers and designers are motivated to uh, implement research ideas, so there needs to be perhaps more pressure coming from government and funding organizations to make sure that they only support resources that have the research stamp on them, so to speak, so that they have some evidence behind them. And then, of course, um, teachers. Um, so making sure that, uh, uh, you know, we have professional development courses that address the use and quality of digital tools and that there is a clear line of communication between teachers and parents in making sure that the key gatekeepers, so to speak, for children's technology are informed about the importance of evidence in the tools that young children are using. Now, one of the things that you, you talk about a lot in your in your book that, that came out at the start of 2021 is the balance between personalization and pluralization. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what are some of the tensions between, I suppose, tailoring things to the individual child, but also that notion of being part of a more plural learning environment? Yeah, I mean, this is not a new idea. We have uh, known this for many years, how important it is to make sure that children's education is striving for the balance between individualized experiences and experiences that are pluralized or that are happening on the societal and collective level. So if you think about personalization as being relevant for the individual and pluralization being relevant for the social and for the wider good, then uh, we really need to make sure that the new technologies and new learning environments that we are designing strive for this balance rather than swing the pendulum to towards one or the other extreme. In the book, I am trying to argue for greater focus on the misbalance that we are seeing in current design, not only of children's technologies, but also of the online worlds that we are all using and are part of. Mm. Why do you think we have reached that imbalance? There are many possible factors, of course, and 
I am uh, really uh, only offering a glimpse of the potential reasons in, in the book because it's something that I myself am asking constantly, you know, why is this uh, big focus on ourselves so seductive and so interesting for us? Uh, why is it that we want to have personalized news and we respond so quickly to personalized um, recommendations and vouchers that give us exactly what we want and build on what we liked before. So there are biological reasons for that. There are social reasons. And I suppose what I was most interested in in uh, discussing as I was um, looking at the possible reasons was really the big societal changes that have happened recently in the past 10 years and thinking about the importance of small micro worlds that we create as we are trying to um, make sense of the big global changes that are happening and we want to have control, we want to have environments that are personally relevant for us and that we can uh, use to direct our lives. So I have been um, discussing this with colleagues from different disciplines and try to come up with some suggestions in the book. I guess one of the things that, I mean, you touched on a little bit in terms of the, the the kind of lives we've all been leading, particularly, I suppose, in the last couple of years. But one of the things that I was interested in reading about in your work was this relationship between sort of personalization and well-being and the, the concept you talk about of the, the pinwheel self. And can you talk a little bit about what you what you mean by that and what its implications are for the way we learn? I should say that this is not something that I think about as a direct causal influence, but rather thinking about the different levels of influences that are becoming visible more and more in direct design of uh, websites and uh, tools and interactions. So the pinwheel self is a part of my thinking about how identity has developed over the years and particularly in relation to the design of the internet and the online world, so to speak. So uh, the description of the pinwheel self, if you like, is that we respond to some highly intense and yet uh, very short-lived experiences. Uh, with the design of social media, we have become used to present multiple identities that fragment our experiences into different types of our experiences that we present selectively on the different platforms. So you have Twitter for uh, more of a textual engagement where you present your professional self, whereas on Instagram, uh, people tend to present more of their uh, personal selves and these uh, images that show what they had for dinner rather than what uh, paper they published. <laughs> so these different platforms offer different possibilities for how we perform ourselves. And the more time we spend on these platforms, the more time we spend on these fragmented self-representations. Mm. And in terms of the, I suppose, the classroom experience for, for children, how do we harness the benefits of personalization without it contributing to this greater fragmentation? Well, I suppose that's the frustrating uh, thing to me because there is, is a huge potential in uh, harnessing personalization for learning benefits. So if we look at personalization as a mechanism that can draw children's attention to specific aspects of content or to selected experiences, 
then we could be using it for uh, teaching them new concepts, for making sure that they pay attention to issues that are relevant for them as well as for others. So um, that, uh, to me, is the key thesis, really, or the key lesson uh, coming from the personalization studies, that if you design resources online or offline and the pedagogy around them well enough, then we can have that personalization-pluralization balance, if you like. But we mustn't go to the one or the other extreme because then we are losing the benefit of personalization. I wonder how personalization plays out in relation to inequalities. Uh, and I suppose part of it is access to technology in a physical sense, but it's also a knowledge of and an experience of using technology. And uh, and are there some challenges there in terms of if we have children from different backgrounds more or less familiar with technology coming into personalization, is there a risk of it exacerbating those inequalities? I'm afraid there is. I'm afraid the pattern that we are seeing is that, and there are national survey data showing that, is that disadvantaged children read more on screen. The screen experiences are of low quality, and these children are those children who need our support most, so they are doubly disadvantaged. And then if you think about their experiences being highly intense and being made relevant for them so that they spend even more time on the screen in that little loop and in their little bubble, then uh, that is not a recipe for success, I'm afraid. And and I suppose one, one other thing that I'm keen to explore a bit is we're all, I guess, more and more conscious of our digital footprint in terms of the, the amount of data that we tracked and that we um, willingly give over to, to third parties and to others. And I suppose in terms of children using personalization, how do we help them navigate that that world where, in a sense, they're giving data, even if it's their thoughts and their feelings rather than bank account details to <laughs> potentially to third parties? Well, the privacy and safety issues around children's personal data are a, a big can of worms. And luckily enough, there are some good efforts in the area, particularly by organizations like the Five Children's Rights Foundation and others also on the EU level, Better Internet for Kids, for example. So organizations that came together, pulled several academics, um, teachers, researchers in this area and are developing new guidelines, but also making sure that what we recommend as um, best practice in design is also translated into some regulations around the internet. So... uh, you know, it's uh, not something that we can change overnight because we have been using these technologies with little governmental oversight in terms of how data are being collected and misused for commercial gain. So uh, we kind of need to redesign the internet now mm-hmm. uh, so that it's more child-friendly and so that children, when they click on something, get a very clear child-friendly explanation of what happens to when they click on an image or when they share the image, where does it go, how it's being used, and so on. Um, So design is one thing. And then, of course, you need more education among parents and um, teachers, of course, librarians, all these stakeholders who are involved with children on a daily basis need to be more aware of um, what is happening to children's personal data. 
you know, it's sprinkled in so many different places and stored by multiple different organizations. So the situation really needs solving urgently. And uh, I am pleased that there are some uh, good efforts being made right now in, in that area. Mm. And I suppose to some extent this agenda has been fast-tracked by the pandemic and the move to remote learning. What we've we've talked, I mean, I've talked in a lot, a lot of these conversations with people about some of the negative impacts of the pandemic. Has, has there been positives in terms of ability to personalise and that engagement with digital learning? I suppose the positive is that people realise that it's no longer something we can blissfully ignore. It is something that needs urgent attention. And there has been an unfortunate dichotomy between uh, print and digital reading or print and digital play. And I think that sort of binary thinking is now really um, overdue so that people understood we cannot have the two separate. And that means that we need to increase the quality of the digital site, given that uh, a lot of the time, if not most of the time, when it comes to education is spent on the screen. So I suppose the, the silver lining in, in Corona times was uh, this uh, greater focus on the digital and how can we make it better for young children. When I was reading it, I was I was struck by the fact that it's there's so many different actors in, in this space. You sort of think of it as a, a learning thing within a classroom setting, but it's much broader than that. And in terms of lessons to take and some of that wishful thinking, there's there's a lot of different people with a lot of responsibilities for it, aren't there? Absolutely. Many stakeholders involved and many facets to it. And it has been discussed very much in silos, personalization, largely in the technology communities, but increasingly there is more interdisciplinary research on this. So I, I would hope that there'll be more attention to these bigger issues in personalization. And it's been a journey, you know, even for myself, I started with personalized books that are very much a niche area and then understood that uh, we need to discuss it more on the macro level. So there are some developments in this area, I think. And what's next for, for you and your research? What are you what are you working on currently or what are you hoping to do in the next year or so? Currently, I'm working on a uh, project that is looking at the engagement of children's senses. So I'm looking at books that are not only personalized to young children, but they also engage their olfactory sense. So the sense of smell and uh, looking at how um, individual children respond to books that they can scratch and sniff. <laughs> so that is my uh, current project. That's what I'm looking um, at for the next four years. It's a uh, project funded by two um, institutions and in uh, several countries, in fact, UK, Norway and Malawi. So hopefully we get some cross-cultural insights into this. Oh, sounds, sounds fascinating. Look forward to seeing how that turns out. Th thank you very much for your time today, Natalia, and yeah, I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Bureau podcast, a weekly listen to the best education research aimed at researchers, practitioners and policymakers. Please do subscribe to the podcast through your normal podcast provider looking for Bureau podcast or to find out more, visit www.bera.ac.uk forward slash podcast.
The Beera blog aims to provide research-informed content on key educational issues to policymakers, academics, parents, teachers, educational leaders, members of school communities, and anyone interested in educational research. We've recently published our thousandth post and celebrated by republishing some of our favourite posts in a special issue. To view that and all the latest blogs, please visit www.beera.ac.uk forward slash blog.